I must confess, I'm a bit of a biohacker and I love exploring and dabbling with various parts of it to increase my mental and physical health. But can it really do that? And what is biohacking anyway? Well, I have with me Angela Foster, who is an award-winning nutritionist and the host of the High Performance Health Podcast. You've got to give it a listen. And she's also the CEO of My DNA Edge, which helps people optimize their health and performance with tools and biohacks to optimize their genetic expression. Are you curious as to how this could help you? Then keep on listening. And welcome, Angela Foster. How are you? I'm great, thank you, Paul. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really good. You know, lovely to see you here, even though we've had a very long chin wag before we came online. <laughs> we're talking we about did. <laughs> I feel like I you've helped me to... solve a few things. <laughs> I know that would have made a brilliant episode in itself, I think. Uh, but I'm fascinated by your work. Um, I look at your account quite a lot online and I'll put the details in the show notes um, on Instagram. And I love your podcast. Um, because the tips you give to people, uh, in regards to biohacking are amazing. Like you told me about my smoothies the other day. You're like, do you put banana in your smoothie? And I'm like, yes. And you're like, <laughs> no, you don't do that anymore. Uh, what was the reason? Mm-hmm. It was a good reason. Yeah, there was an enzyme, uh, there was a study found that an enzyme in bananas basically breaks down some of the antioxidants in the other fruit. And who would have known, right? Because my kids love banana in their smoothies. That was like my go-to, banana blueberry smoothie before school. Uh, Um, So now we're keeping the banana separate. Yeah, that's what I've had to do. I've had to do. Um, So if anyone doesn't know what biohacking actually is, uh, can you give us a good term um, in regards to how do you see it? I see it really as fast tracking your progress, right? Your health optimization by removing the guesswork, because what you're doing is you're working with your biology and your physiology. And particularly for women, you know, Dr. Stacey Sims famously said, and I just love her quote, women are not small men. And so the more we can understand about our bodies and learn to be in sync and in tune with them, um, the better our results, both from a health perspective and from a performance perspective. So it's really, I think, about optimizing your internal and external environment to create the best outcomes. Yeah, because you hold, what is the, 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 the thing that you do? You've got a female biohacker collective, haven't you? I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. I have a membership for women uh, to kind of help women biohack. Um, and then also uh, we've created the concept of biosyncing, right? Which is really what if you could make it much more intuitive and instead of kind of hacking, which just sounds very masculine and almost a bit mm. scary, what if you could sync everything so everything lines up for you? And that's really kind of the main basis of my work now is how can we sync with your female physiology, but also Mm. in your hormones. And we can talk about that and sort of your life stage because it changes obviously across the trajectory for women. Um, And then um, how can you sync with your biorhythms? So we all have a unique chronotype, right? You know, some people are early morning people, some people are night owls. Like how can you achieve more flow by syncing with your biorhythms? And then uh, you and I, I think both talk a lot about sort of stepping into your future self. And that's very much then mm. about how, how do you sync with your goals and values and with that future version of you that achieves everything you want. And I think when you put those things together, it's really powerful combination 
to help you optimize your health for higher performance in business and in life. I love that. Let's just dive into that a little. So what are the main what are the main problems uh, someone would come to you with that would you know that often gets brought up in part of this part of this collective? What are people struggling with that they need help with? So many of the things, I mean, some of the things are around, you know, goal setting, achieving, manifesting and things like that. But also I think for women in particular, stress is a big one. There's Mm -hmm. like a a relentless stress that's upon women now. And I think, you know, for us, it's been amazing, right? If we go back over the last 60, 70 years, the progress that women have made and achieving things alongside having a family are really nothing short of phenomenal. And we've had so many opportunities and things, but with that comes an extra burden of stress because, you know, we're still really primarily the ones that are responsible for thinking about, even if it's not just caring for the children, we may have help, but as women, we're kind of very tuned in with our kids and the emotions and we carry everything around in our head, you know, the birthday party, the sports fixture they've got, whether they've got the right things for the trip, whether the child comes home upset and all this stuff that's going on. And I think that women's bodies are not really designed for that relentless output. They need to have, just just like men do, they need to have some rest and recovery. But I think that women are super conscientious and will always put other people often will put other people before themselves and so they're kind of last on the list and I think what we're seeing is quite a lot of disruption in women's hormone balance as a result and so I would say stress and burnout and and hormonal health are some of the key things that that show up with with the people I work with. And how does how does that show up in regards to like physical health issues etc so if someone's hormones are out of balance what would they begin to notice? So they might notice symptoms. I mean, a really common thing around women is that they feel, for for cycling women, so when I say cycling, I mean women who have a menstrual cycle as opposed to women who have gone past menopause, um, is that they find that they only feel good for kind of two weeks of every month. And that's hard because that's kind of running into 50% of your time. Um, And I think it's just there's an acceptance that maybe I'm not going to feel good in the week running up towards my period, or I'm not going to feel great during menstruation. And that's just the way it is. Um, But it doesn't actually have to be. And I think that when you start to kind of understand that if you think of hormones, right, is what we really want to happen is it's kind of like an orchestra. And when they're in balance, it's going to play a really beautiful symphony. But if something goes out of kilter, that's when you're going to get symptoms. So you may find that you get extra period pain, you may get PMS, you may get irritability, you can have more extreme things developing like fibroids, endometriosis from different kind of hormonal um, patterns and things and inflammation within the body. And so I think like really understanding, because we're just given a very short lesson on it at school in biology. Girls don't really receive much more than men, you know, and I think that it's sort of glossed over quite quickly and you just have to get on with it and get on with things and show up the same. And I think it's not about doing less. I think women are necessarily, I think women are strong and strong at any point in the month, but I think it's about understanding when you might need to adjust your food a little bit to take account of changing hormones in a positive way that can give you more support, when you might need to factor in a little bit more recovery from exercise or doing slightly less exercise in mm. terms of its intensity. And when you start to understand these things, you don't really suffer so much with those hormonal symptoms and you can live life in more flow and balance. I love that. What would if someone was listening to this? I was actually asked two questions. I was thinking if a guy was listening to this, 
and he's got a wife at home or, uh, you know, <laughs> teenage or uh, adult daughters and stuff like that. What what does he need to know? What would what would be good for a guy listening to this to know about his wife or female relatives? Do you know, I think it, like the the best thing is to acknowledge how she feels, uh, mm. always acknowledge, right, and accept. Um, and then also just be really, really supportive. So, you know, we know that, for example, if you look at waitresses, um, they will naturally be tipped more uh, when they're ovulating in the middle of the month. And women are more outward facing at that time of the month. They're just naturally, you know, as estrogen rises and we get to that midpoint, and this is when a woman is coming into her most fertile stage, um, she's more outward facing. So it's a great time to present, conduct meetings, do things like that, because that's how she wow. feels. But, you yeah. know, maybe maybe we genuinely do just want to stay home and roast a chicken right before <laughs> our period. You know what I mean? Maybe that's yeah, a real yeah. thing. And, and just be understanding, I think, mm. that we have this infradian rhythm. It's not the same, right? We don't wake up every day with high testosterone. And yeah. then, you know, um, it sort of like wanes across the day and then you come back and it's sort of a reboot. It's different for women and our hormones are changing across the month. But then we also have something very beautiful that we can do, right? Which is to basically 3D print a tiny human. And it's amazing. It's a gift. Mm. Well, um, and just to carry on from that. So any guys listening to this, how could they support their wives? What can they do? Uh, because I, sometimes I hear women don't know how to ask their guy, husbands or you know boyfriends for support. They're guys who don't know how to support. What would you recommend? I think this is the thing, isn't it? I think it's really difficult. And I think often women don't want to ask for support. And mm. then sometimes guys will be a little bit afraid of offering support um, because they'll feel like she, she doesn't want it or it's sort of undermining her. I think just understanding where she's at, to be honest, for women that are struggling with with hormonal issues, that needs more support and love and attention, right, from their partners. I think as you start to optimize things, you're going to be much more in tune across the month as a whole. And so you're going to get less of these symptoms developing. That's the thing when you start syncing with it. So the, the, the need for support may well be less. But I think if women are really struggling with it, acknowledge that and see how you can help her. You know, acknowledge that she might want to have a bit more rest times and incorporate different foods, you know, and, and support her. Because sometimes I think women feel, I must just do more, right? Particularly if we look around things like metabolism and weight loss. So many women, if they feel like they're struggling and then body composition isn't where they want it to be, they feel like they've got to do more. And so they'll layer on extra exercise. So it will be like, now I'm doing one class at the gym, I'm going to do another one, right? Because I just want to like get rid of this excess weight. And it's this conditioning to do more. Whereas actually often less is more and you'll get better results. And you're going to come back the next month stronger if you give yourself a little bit of time just ahead of that menstruation period starting that now actually, you know what, maybe you just need to do more things like yoga and Pilates just for a few days and give yourself that recovery before you go back and kind of be that high charging person again. And I think just supporting her where she's at. But I also think making it a more public conversation is helpful mm. because it's kind of glossed over. And I'm very aware of that with my, you know, I have two boys and a daughter. 
And so we have always spoken freely with our kids around anything that would be considered a taboo sort of subject, you know. So I know many parents feel uncomfortable talking about sex around their children. They might feel uncomfortable talking about periods. We very much, my husband and I have been, no, let's just talk about it openly. We want our daughter to feel supported and be able to talk about that in the presence of her brothers and for her brothers to actually really understand what goes on for women as well so that they in turn can be supportive for their girlfriends and then, you know, their um, their partners and, and, you know, if they get married and, and understanding all of that because women go through so many changes across their lives, right? I mean, I remember spending much of my life initially thinking, I mustn't get pregnant, I mustn't get pregnant when I was a lawyer, right? trying to prevent a pregnancy. Mm. Then when you decide you want to have children, there's a whole thing around falling pregnant, then you are pregnant, and then your hormones change again. You have nine months of pregnancy, and then you're postpartum, and that leads to more adjustment. And you might do that if you're like me three times, some women will do it more times. And then you kind of feel like you've just got over all of that, and then you hit your 40s and it's like, hello, perimenopause. And you're like, when does it stop changing? Do you see what I mean? The landscape yeah, yeah. is changing quite quite, quite dramatically every few years for many women. And so mm. I think just really like understanding that and being more in tune and asking her, how are you? How are you feeling? What can I do? Can I help out at all? Uh, particularly when there are children involved because – we train our husbands, though, I think, a little bit. I, I had to learn that, you know, I had to leave a bit of a gap for him to step in, right? If I was yeah. going to do everything, then I wasn't going to get the support. Uh, and I think just like we train AI, we train our partners. I love that. I think they do need, we all need training. I think there's a, um, you know, it's what helps a, a relationship, isn't it? It's that open communication and understanding a person's needs. Going back to the, um, you know, the biohacking side of things, what is it that you think most of us are getting wrong when it comes to our health these days? What is it that adds more, pre uh, you know, stress to women or, or men that, you know, is unnecessary and, you know, something that is a scam, if you like, something that we all fall for and um, is actually making uh, life worse for us? Personally, I think the biggest thing is believing that there is a perfect diet that you should follow and that you've got it wrong right. and constantly seeking out what that might be. And I think many people are doing that. And so they're, they're always chopping and changing to something new that comes out. So, you know, we had Atkins and then it was kind of low carb and then it was low fat and then we have paleo and then it's mm. keto and all these different things. And I think the thing with this is that they're all going to work for, for a while, right? Because they're a form of elimination diet. That's what they are. And they all have at their core an identity that makes it easy for you then to put it in mm. place because for a period of time, but it's not your identity. So it's not going to stick. But, you know, if you decided to become keto, it would be when we, when, if we got together and we were having dinner and I started saying, oh, you know, Paul, why don't you have some chips? Why don't you just have some pasta? You'd say no, because I'm keto, right? You've got this identity yeah. that you can live by, yeah, but yeah. it's not really your identity. Do you know what I mean? So it, it holds for a period of time uh, and it may work for you or it may not. We may find that actually your blood work doesn't look great on keto and it wasn't the right diet for you or that you lose weight on it and your partner doesn't. We don't know. Um, until we try. And I think so. I think what we have wrong is constantly searching for something that is going to be the magic formula for us. Whereas in reality, I think there are principles around metabolism that apply across the board with a few modifications. Um, and I think if you follow them, you will see results. 
Just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 2023, we are kicking your ass. Now, this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now, Mindset Change Another Level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations with our ads, intros and outros so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. What is it, what is it that we're looking for with these diets, do you think? Is it just the losing weight side of things or are we trying to feel good? What is it that most people come to you with? I think most people, they, they, they want, often do want to lose weight. I think that a very mm. real, I don't tend to see a lot of very overweight people, but I think mm. most people tend to have somewhere of like two or three kilos, at least that they feel they constantly got to play with, right? They're not quite where they want to be. And for others, it's going to be more than that. And so I think they're looking at how can I, how can I lose that? Um, how can I, the other thing I think that's really common and this is just the natural passage of life, is as we're aging, we're losing muscle mass unless we're paying attention to it. So unless we're strength training, we are losing muscle mass. If we're losing muscle mass, we're losing those kind of curves and shapes that we all like, which make us look and feel good. But Mm. importantly, we're also losing some of the metabolic health benefits that come alongside having muscle mass. So we we have less glucose tolerance, reduced insulin sensitivity, and this gets exacerbated for women in their 40s. Um, So muscle is really important. It is, as Dr. Gabrielle Lyon talks about, it's an organ of longevity. She practices muscle-centric medicine. And I think in her latest book, she makes a really good case for the fact that when we go into our doctor, why are they not asking? They're running all these different tests, but why are they not asking, what's your muscle mass like? Because actually, Mm. is it that we are over fat, like we're led to believe, or is it that we're under muscled? Because that's what gives Uh us all those health benefits. And muscle burns fat, right? So really effectively. And I think people are starting to understand this and they're looking at the long game. And you you know, the biggest thing I found is that our generation, I think, has elderly parents who are not aging well. There's a very high prevalence of people at the moment in their 70s and 80s. And that's kind of staring us in the face of like, yes, we've got good at extending life to a point, not dramatically better. It's not like it's so Mm. much longer. Um, however, what we haven't got really good at is extending health span. So how can I extend my health span and how can I live healthily and well into my seventies and eighties and beyond? And I think that's, that's a very common thing for many people right now. I'm, I love what you said that it reminds me of that Netflix documentary on blue zones. And uh, did you see that at all? I've seen parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, a lot of that was it did point at how much hard work that they did, whether it was in the garden or some of them had quite big steps to walk up. And uh, there's a lot of physical movement, which again seems to be lacking in in parts of the Western world. 
it's we're quite sedentary and that seems to have had you know my parents are elderly and they're, they're really on a decline there's no getting around that and um they just never they never really especially when my, my, they retired they never really did much it was a lot of tv and some walking somewhere and it, and i think you're right i think there's a lot to be said in regards to um you know strength training and making that a, a natural part of, of our routines um and i think you, they are what, as you say the tv yeah. generation yeah. right as well we yeah. our kids are like this the social media generation but yeah. they were the tv ones like it was a huge thing they didn't need to go to the cinema anymore all of a sudden i can watch tv in my own home and then mm. it made led to a sedentary lifestyle yeah and you know unfortunately they're paying for it and, and that is sad to see that is sad to see uh what would you recommend to someone who's thinking i need to build uh, build muscle um but and, and build strength but frightened of the gym you know because they can be quite intimidating places Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think they can be really intimidating for many yeah. people. And I think especially for women, right? When I <laughs> I go to the gym in the morning with my husband because he catches a train to London early. And so we tend to go at 5 a.m. We're both very early morning people anyway. And when I arrive there, I'm going to be honest, the weights room is still mostly filled with men. And sometimes I feel a bit like, <laughs> I'm going to go and load up a bar that's a lot lighter potentially. Um, and I can completely understand that. And I think for people who haven't been exercising, it can feel really intimidating. I think that, you know, one answer would be to say you could just start at home. You could absolutely do that. I think there are some mm. um, behavioral aspects to that that can be difficult to overcome because I think that, and, and, and I'll, I'll circle back on the gym thing. Um, in just a moment. But I think what people need to understand is even if you're going to start exercising at home or you're going to start going out for walks, right? Or maybe you want to take up jogging, whatever it is you're going to do, you're never going to feel motivated to get out of bed and go and do that thing. And if it's in your home, it's going to be that much harder to do because often what we need is like a pre-step to create a habit. It's kind of what I would call like on ramping. Like you would never just go and walk up to a bar and lift a re or squat a really heavy weight. You would have to warm up first and then you'd have to do some warm up sets and gradually ease yourself into it. Just like if you're sitting down to do some work, you might go and have a whole routine before you do that of going and boiling mm -hmm. the kettle, making a coffee, sitting nicely, having a tidy desk, and then you start work. And that's conditioning your mind that you're about to do this, right? You're about to do this thing that helps you so much more. And I think where some people can fall down is they think, well, I don't really want to go to the gym. I'm just going to take up running. And then you look outside in November here in the UK in the morning and it's dark and it's windy and it's wet. And you're like, my bed just seems so much better than this. And it's really hard to overcome. So I would always say, if you're going to start exercising from the beginning, put something in place that is just the pre-step to the exercise and then make the exercise bit easy so that you can accomplish it. Um, and then you can start to establish a streak and you can build mm. up from there. So what you've done then is each time you're priming your brain now, just like when we bath the baby before bed, the baby knows bedtime's coming and we read a story. You're actually priming yourself that this is the next step. It's coming so much easier to get into that, just to have that pre-routine. Um, and so with that being said, what can you do if you uh, feel a bit nervous about going to the gym? There's two things. You could exercise outside of a gym. 
in many ways, you can start with body weight. Over time, it's unlikely that you will be able to continue purely with body weight if you really want to make body composition changes because your body's going to become used to what you do. You can become creative with it. So you can make yourself do things like there's some science behind a great book by Doug McGuff, which is Body by Science, I think, where it's all about um, super slow strength training. And so you literally like you you could be doing a push up, but you're doing it so slow. It's taking you 10 seconds to go down and then 10 seconds to come up. That's a very different to just getting on the floor and dropping, doing 20 push ups. So you can yeah, yeah. create stimulus in many different ways. But ultimately, you may find yourself wanting to get into the gym. And I think the best thing you can do it's, it's one of the best investments you can make is to get a personal trainer for a few weeks to show you and show you how to move through the equipment safely um, and how to establish really good functional movement patterns before you start increasing any weight so you don't injure yourself. And I think as you become more confident with that and you understand what to do, then you're much more likely to follow through with that program and start educating yourself. You know, how, how can I increase muscle mass and start tracking it? Because anything that you... Anything you measure, right, you can start to improve. If you're not measuring it, how do you know? If you don't ever write down what you lift in the gym and each time you're kind of guessing or you don't you do not do your body composition analysis mm. to understand, okay, I'm here, this is how much muscle I've got. If I really want to live a long time, how much do I need to have and get that assessed? Then you can see that you're making progress. That's really important because progressive overload is a very key principle in this process. You need to progressively overload the muscle in order to see results. Amazing. Yeah. I, and also I'd add to that, join a class. You know, I go to And F45. join if you can join a class. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I do classes. Because I, I don't even have to think about the workout then. It's all done for me. I just turn up. <laughs> and then it's... That's um, true. I just, That's true. I just, I just, and it's nice to be with a group, nice group of people as well. Um, yeah. Talking about longevity. And do what, what else, you love, right? That's the thing. Yeah. That's do what you I love. Yeah. It's, I'd also say on that, sometimes, you know, it can be a bit difficult for us to divorce. So then people often move away from it going, oh, I didn't like it enough. But like, even like with running, um, a lot of people started off running and, and hating it. And then later on they go, oh, actually... <laughs> I'm enjoying the peace now. I'm enjoying the, the you know, the, that almost like a little meditation as they're running or just getting some time on their own. So I'd also advise yeah. definitely give, give it time, even if it feels a bit difficult at, at first. Like Michael Easter's um, Comfort Crisis book. Have you read that? I haven't, no. No, and it, it, often we seek comfort too much. And I think something, you know, it's that, it's, it's a, that's what they call it, the comfort crisis. Uh, is that we our obsession with comfort is what's also making us um, begin to lose our um, you know our health and lose our strength etc. It's, mm. it's quite a good book. I've heard, I've heard of that, and I think I think that's a very fair point because we are we are very comfortable, right? I mean, you can literally from your phone dial and get a takeaway delivered within minutes as well now. Like it's all just very very easy. We've got hot water, we've got warm houses, we're dry. You know, we've got nice yeah. big coats when we go out, and it is we are. And I think sometimes like having a bit of discomfort is important. But I also think when you were saying about running there, you may mm. start off not enjoying it, and then you begin to enjoy it. I think you start to crave what you do over time you know like mm. if you start the day with uh kind of high sugar breakfast you're likely to crave sugar all day we, we crave what we do yeah. or true for a lot yeah no i know i agree with that it's um i think yeah we got sort of conditioning ourselves into it and then we, that becomes our natural habit 
Um, I was going to ask you a question then about um, the the longevity side of things. What else is there besides exercise that we should be looking at? For the purposes of longevity? Yeah, because there's, there's this whole thing yeah. now. I've seen it all over the news that apparently they're saying that a person there's a person who's been born today that could be immortal. What are, you know? I, I don't know if that's true. As long you know, the, the science of longevity that good now, or is it is it going mm. to be that good? What do you think? I don't know. I I think I think we've definitely got some exciting things to come. I think mm. at the moment how much can we actually extend life? I think you've got to really get compliance. That's the thing because you need, and you need compliance from a very young age. So, you know, I think even children, there's evidence that they can be, you know, having more kind of, many children have high inflammation. In fact, like I think 25% of children in the UK are living with obesity. So I think that, you know, that, that is obviously a big health risk, huge health risk. And there are, there are very young, you know, young adults that are having, and I think even in the US, children that are having strokes, which is unheard of. Just like, you know, previously, we didn't have type 2 diabetes. It was associated with aging. Um, and then now it's become much longer because we're not looking after ourselves. I think that if in order to really increase your health span, you do need to pay attention to what you're eating, to how well you're sleeping, to how well you're managing your stress, and also mm. to um, utilizing your brain. The brain is another muscle and often a forgotten muscle. And I think that's why sometimes we'll see such rapid sort of decline after retirement because people aren't using their brain anymore. And it's an organ like any other organ that needs to be used. Um, so I think if people are really dialing in those things and they're keeping inflammation low and they're controlling their blood glucose, mm. then can we stave off? Because really when you were talking there about the blue zones and you look at the work of Dan yeah. Butner, um, you know, what he's saying there is it's not that they're living longer with disease. They're living longer first in the absence of disease. And that's what really gives longevity. Um. And so I think the more we can be preventative in our healthcare. And really start to do, you know, we in the UK, we don't really do checkups. We don't do annual blood work from a young age. So even in your 40s, if you're starting to look at that with your doctor, if you're looking at your hormones, do you really have a picture of what you were like in your prime, in your 20s or 30s? So anyone that's younger that's listening to this, if you do genuinely want to proactively take care of your health, I would start measuring things in your 20s when you're in your prime and understanding those numbers and working with a practitioner to get them on board, to get any inflammation down, to manage your glucose effectively. Um, because really, I think Dr. Peter Atia talks about in his book, Outlive, what he calls the four horsemen, right, that get us. And that's atherosclerosis or cardiovascular disease, which is one of the leading killers. Dementia um, is another one metabolic disease and cancer. And I think that the more that we can protect against those, that's how we're going to see life extension. And mm. obviously alongside that, there's loads of like sexy supplements that are coming out that you can take that enhance things like NAD, which is, you know, dubbed the molecule of youth and spermidine, for example, that helps with inflammation. And I think all these things are incredible. But before doing that, you also want to get the basics dialed in, in terms of your nutrition your sleep, your movement practices, your stress and your resiliency. And, and that stress, as you sort of mentioned there, is, is two-pronged, right? It's it's managing bad forms of stress, but it's in also embracing what they call eustress, eustress, uh, eustress, which is like a hormetic stress, right? Which is positive stress that's going to make you more resilient in terms of your body and mind. I love that. 
And in, in regards to resilience, that is a big thing, isn't it, at the moment? Um, and actually going back to the Michael Easter book about doing something uncomfortable each day. What do you do to boost your resilience? What do, is there anything that you do to, besides strength training and, and being a parent, um, is there anything that you recommend that uh, helps you? Yeah, so I think that um, other things that I do are some form of cold exposure, which I think is brilliant yeah. anyway for the mind. And that's been linked. You probably know, right, yeah, being yeah. In, in, in the profession you're in, that it's really good for mental health and helping you, helping with depression rates and things like that. Um, I think also sauna is something that I love. I think that's great. That's helping with heat shot proteins and um, that's a form of stress. Um, I think doing hard things, things that scare you every day, right? I always like accept things that are offered in my business that I think are going to help me to grow because that's another mm -hmm. opportunity, right? To do things that make you feel a bit uncomfortable, um, but help you to grow as a person because it's not just the physical aspect that we want to look at. It's that mind, body, spiritual aspect as well. I love that. I love that. Do you know, this has been, and I could go on forever uh, asking you lots of different questions uh, in regards to longevity, resilience, uh, reducing stress. Um, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, where can people find out more about you, Angela? Uh, and uh, obviously your Instagram and podcast, what, where can they find you? Thank you. I've loved chatting to you. Um, people can find me. My Instagram is Angela S. Foster. My podcast, which Paul is coming on, is High Performance Health. And then if you're listening and you're thinking, I just want to get a snapshot of my health and where I am now, some of these things we've been talking about and more. Um, I talk about a shift protocol for optimization. So it's sleep, hormones, insights, how you fuel your body and how you train your body and mind. So things like meditation and breathwork and all the things you talk about as well. And that shift protocol, we can actually give you a free health check and score and we'll send you a personalized report complete with recommendations on how you can improve every aspect. And then you can take it as many times as you want and improve your scores. And that's over at yourtotalhealthcheck.com. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining me and Angela Foster on the Mindset Change podcast. I'll look forward to connecting with you in the very next episode. Mm -hmm.